0: So that's why this topic is before us this morning, because it's a topic that is in the Bible, okay? So it's one that we're going to talk about. This morning as we do this, as we discover that our bodies matter, we're going to first think about how we think about our bodies. And we see this in verses 12 through 14, how we think about our bodies. It's important for us to consider, just for a few minutes, how we view and how we think about our bodies. After all, they follow us around 24-7, right? They are always with us. Whether we lie down or wake up, our body, as long as it has life in it, is with us. So we better think about, we better consider how we think about it, how we view about it. Also, we also need to consider this because the world definitely has an idea, has a view The world thinks about our bodies in a particular way, and part of the challenge for us as Christians is we want to embrace and understand a Christian worldview, a view that's primarily formed by the Bible, not by the culture and the world around us. So first, in 12 through 14, we're going to consider how we think about our bodies. To do this, let's consider first how the Corinthians viewed their body. What did they think about their body. This is a unique part of the of section. If you as you've been tracking with us through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul is addressing sort of one problem after another. Problem of factionalism, the problem of leadership, right? He's he's addressing the problem of public quarrels. We saw that last week in the first part of chapter 6. Um, What's unique about this section is in each of those other sections, he specifically addresses a unique situation, a person or something specifically that was happening. He calls attention to it. For example, in the chapter five of verse one, he's specifically addressing a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. There is a specific instance that's calling Paul to address it. This is unique because there's no specific thing he addresses in this section. He starts off by saying, all things are lawful for me. Now, if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice right away, there's quotations around that phrase. All things are lawful for me. This is likely, scholars think, a Corinthian slogan. A slogan that the culture is saying over and over again. All things are lawful for me. It's possibly something that was picked up from the Stoics and carried into the church and is now being used by believers we see it again in chapter 10, verse 23, when he specifically addresses food that's offered to idols. Paul doesn't flat out reject the wisdom, it's important to note here, but he does qualify it. He says, look at your Bible, while all things are lawful, not everything is helpful. Though you may be permitted to do it, it may not be beneficial that you do it. Though all things are lawful or not, it's important that we are not enslaved by anything. You see, the Corinthians were using this slogan, this popular idea, the wisdom of the world to justify their behavior with their bodies. They were using contemporary current philosophy to justify activity they were doing with their bodies. And essentially what they were saying is they were incorporating it into the church and applying it to their faith as they were saying our freedom gives us license to do whatever we want because we're free in jesus let us sin let us treat our bodies however we want to do it or whatever we want to do with them they understood christian liberty as a license to sin folks our freedom the bible tells us is for love not for license christian liberty is, is not, does not mean I'm free to do whatever I please, but it means that I've been free to do ultimately what pleases Christ, including what I do with my body. In verse 13, Paul cites another slogan that was likely common in Corinth. This particular saying helps us understand how people viewed their sexuality. God gave our stomachs an appetite for food. So, when, our st- when we feel that appetite growing, we should simply, just like we do with food, we, we should satisfy that appetite of our stomach by eating food whenever we desire. Likewise, we should view our whole body in the same way. He's given us appetites, an appetite for sex, a desire for sex. Therefore, when we feel that appetite growing, we should simply, just like we do with our stomach, just have at it. Just satisfy it whenever we feel like it. This is how they view. Their body. And if we consider just our, that was their culture. That was sort of the air that they were breathing. If we think about for a minute our culture and the air that we breathe, our world definitely has a narrative that it is reading to us, that it is saying to us. There's air that we are breathing. And likely there's two lies that we are believing. It's either that we obsess about our body, it's everything for us, or we pay no attention to our body and we don't give a rip what we do with it or put in it or use it for it doesn't matter likely our culture is buying one is feeding us those two lies and the truth is Western culture our world has undergone tremendous transformation over the past several decades especially on how we view sexuality and how we view gender and these changes have come at an alarming pace there are a number of reasons that account for these changes one of which is a fundamental shift and our Western idea of anthropology. When I say anthropology, just a study of how we understand human nature. It's an important shift that's changing the way our world views our bodies. In our secular world today, the physical body is entirely accidental. It's accidental. According to atheistic evolution, your body, now this is the, the, this is the world out there. This is not the Bible's view. Just to be clear, according to atheistic evolution, your body is simply a lump of matter that you are attached to. It has no intrinsic or transcendent, you know, uh, transcendent meaning or significance because evolution shows us that any physical thing can literally become anything else. So there's no reason why we can't fashion our physical body into something entirely different from what it started out as. This is the logic. If it's accidental, then it follows that it's also incidental. The body, the world says, is simply a canvas. It's a canvas on which you express your true identity. And it has no bearing, no no determination on your identity itself, right? So the idea of the world around us is you look inside yourself. Who are you really? And however you answer that question, then you get to place that on your body and express that to the world through that. So the body is just completely irrelevant. You are somebody completely detached from it. Just do whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter. You can put whatever you want in it. You can use it for whatever you want. You can change it however you like of no consequence folks the biblical understanding of your body and of my body the biblical understanding of anthropology could not be further from that could not be further from that god thinks of your body a particular way and as christians we ought to think about our body in that way as well look what he says in verse 13 the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body he doesn't despise our bodies god doesn't see you right now in the chair that you're sitting and thinking and wishing i wish this person had a different body i don't know how they're going to make it he doesn't despise our bodies rather the body your body has a purpose that purpose is for god you've been given your body for the lord The Lord is for your body. And if that's true, then what you do with it matters. How you think about it matters, makes a difference. He goes on to say in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies are not some outer shell that our soul's at death that's not our understanding that's not what the bible teaches our bodies are not simply shed away at death our future destiny is actually is not redemption from our bodies but it is redemption of our bodies just like jesus was crucified on the cross right he was buried in a tomb and he ascended and was given a new redeemed resurrected body guess what paul says same for you Your eternal destiny is not freedom from your body. It is redemption of your body, okay? So your body matters, matters a great deal. The question for us today is, what do we believe? Which narrative are we saying to ourselves? Second point, verses 15 through 17, that's how we think about our bodies. 15 through 17 what you do with your bodies let's consider that for a moment verse 15 lets us in on what was going on in Corinth remember there are problems in the city there are problems in the city that are making their way into the church and affecting the way that they are living life together verse 15 do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a cross See, prostitution was a significant problem in the city of Corinth. Now, the Jews themselves were not specifically wrestling with the issue of prostitution. It was the Greco-Roman world that was really wrestling with this idea of prostitution. It, it was seen as socially acceptable, a main street affair. In fact, prostitutes would would register at the magistrate, and moralists like Cicero and Cato would have condoned it as a safeguard against adultery did you hear what i just said they would have viewed prostitution as a safeguard from adultery this is what they would say oh you want to be true to your spouse do you absolutely that is that's valuable you got to be true to your spouse you don't want to be tempted to get caught up in an affair maybe sleep with somebody else's spouse hey that is a noble thing we don't want that either you should go down to the neighborhood brothel Sleep with a couple prostitutes down there. Your marriage, your spouse re- relationship preserved, right? You don't want to ha- be guilty of sexual immorality? Very good. There it is. There's a prostitute right there. Just have your way and then be on your way, okay? It'll safeguard your relationship. Now, we sit here and you hear that, and I know when I read that, I'm thinking to myself, that's a trip, right? That's crazy. you telling me the way to protect and preserve my marriage? Like My wife would be like, I mean, could you imagine what she would be thinking? Oh, it's okay, it's okay, honey, you know? This is a way to protect us. It's crazy, right? Well, here's the deal. We do the exact same thing in our culture today, not with prostitutes, but primarily with porn, right? That's primarily how it gets manifested, exact same thing. We try to justify it by saying, this is a good way for me to not hurt anybody. It's a good way for me to not even be hurt. I can, I can get what I want but not be emotionally attached in a relationship that takes time and energy and effort and sacrifice and vulnerability. It's just a way for me to be satisfied. You know what I'm saying? It's a way of justifying and it's sinful. The Bible says no. That is completely inconsistent. It's completely inconsistent with the gospel. Completely inconsistent. And while we think it's a way of preserving, some people treat it as if it's a way of preserving our life and relationships, what it really does is completely destroys the relationships and wreaks havoc on our heart. Destroys us from the inside. And to be clear, this is not simply a male problem. This is a male and a female problem. It's not a single problem. It's a single and a married problem. Every single one of us. It's not an adult problem. It's not just a kid problem. It's an adult and a kid problem. doesn't matter how old you are. If you have life in your body and you reside in this country, you are bombarded and tempted with sexual temptation, sexual immorality, pornography every single day of your life. Inevitable. It's the air that we breathe. It has become normalized. We have often become desensitized to it by the shows that we watch, the songs that we listen to, the snaps that we chat, the, I don't, the tweets that we Twitter, tweet, the pictures that we gram. You know what I'm saying? We just become completely desensitized to it. It's all around us. But Jesus identifies uniquely with our body. That's what Paul is telling him. It says look at verse 16 and 17. Do you not know? And this is his argument. He'll say this three, this expression three different times. Or do you not know, right? He's building a case for why they should have no business messing around with prostitutes. That sexual morality should not even be a hint among them. Or do you not know that he is joined to? A, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. And this is what happens in sex, is you become, this is biblical understanding of sexuality, is when you have sex with somebody, that it's, 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 a, it's a sign of a covenant, you become one people, designated for the, the covenant relationship of marriage, you become one person, and to do that with a prostitute, the two will become one flesh, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, and verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So Jesus uniquely identifies with our body, What business do we have desecrating it and defiling it with prostitution, sexual morality, pornography, you name it? Because we are joined to Christ. He identifies with our body. Why does all this matter? I'm glad you asked that. Verses 18 to 20 tell us. There might be some that are here today who are simply not convinced that it's really that big of a problem, right? Simply convinced that this, you know, might apply to some people, but for me, I got it under control not something I need to give much thought or action towards. Well, there are a number of reasons why this matters. The first is, and we've, we've touched on this a little bit, the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit himself is residing in you. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? The body that you are, you are taking out there? that you are defiling, that you are disrespecting, that you are letting anybody have or see in any way that they want, that body is a temple of the living God, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. God values our bodies so much that he takes up residence in them. God has a new address, your body. what is this a story of it is a story of god making his presence to dwell among his people in a particular place that's the story of the bible you see it go back to the garden of eden what was that god's presence fully with god's people in a particular place sin comes in out of the garden Eden. they go then you have in the old testament the tabernacle the temple And if you see it in the incarnation, God's presence with God's people in a particular place, Jesus ascends and goes to heaven. And guess what? He gives us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the great counselor who's now with us. God's presence in God's people in this place. The temple, if you just think of the of the temple, the holiness in the temple was signified by the many compartments that one had to pass through before entering the most holy of holies, the holy place. The only one that would be permitted in the most holy place was the high priest who was able to go in simply one day of the year, the day of atonement. And as he would go in, he would take special care to be taken to ensure that that place was not defiled. It was a sacred place. It had special value, special meaning. Why? Because God's presence was especially there. attention, the same thoughtful, strategic thinking and planning should be applied to this special place because God says when he lives in a place, it's sacred. It's sacred. This is his dwelling place. Your body is sacred and he's committed to you. No business mistreating you. No business wishing you had, listen, if your body is good enough for God himself to dwell, oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, what what good news that is for us? What good news is that for me? Because the world around me wants me to be growingly, increasingly discontent with the body God's given me. Because right, it doesn't quite fit the image that the world says is valuable. The creator of the universe wants to live in your body. implications for the way that we live our lives secondly you belong to God look at the end of verse 19 I'm going to come back to 18 in a second you belong to God the end of verse 19 says you are not your own as the temple of God we are not autonomous creatures we are not autonomous people we don't answer just to ourselves rather we answer to God as his possession as his holy if we belong to God, then we do not ultimately belong to ourselves. And this truth has massive implications. We don't get to determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. God's clearly already said this is right, this is wrong. We get to, If we don't belong to ourselves but belong to him, then we, we should stop putting ourselves first and, and our appetites and our desires first is God first and what shows love to our neighbor. He says this very clearly in his word. If we belong to God, then we give ourselves wholly to him. Every part of who we are now has been given to him. Jesus Christ gave himself completely for us and to us. So it is now our joy to give all of who we are completely to him and to live for him the way that we deal view act with our body treat our body what we put in our body so it's because of these reasons i mean he's got so many reasons why your body matters and why you need to view it that way because of these reasons in verse 18 paul says what is your response to these reasons how do we act when sexual immorality when pornography prostitution when when uh, past relationships when memories creep rear their ugly head what do we do he says, "Flee from sexual immorality." It's such a big deal that your response is to turn around and run in the opposite direction. It, it doesn't really matter where you're at. If it's there, you do whatever you have to do to get away from it. You flee from it. How do you do that? How do you do that today? When I'll, I'll just be honest, it seems like if you're if, if it rears its head over here and I'm. Turn around, there it is. You know what I'm saying? How do you do that? How do you flee from sexual immorality? I'm going to give you three practical things. And some, I I think these three things apply to every single one of us. But this morning, depending kind of where you're at on this issue and in your relationship with the Lord, there may be one that is of special emphasis. So I want you to just consider, you know, how you can do these three things. The first is this. If you want to flee from sexuality from sexual immorality. It starts with being real with God. Being real with God. Deal honestly with this struggle. Whether it's pornography or relationship or past memories, deal honestly with this struggle. There's, there can be healing right here and right now. If you would take this issue, this sin, deal honestly with it, with the Lord. You don't have to say, things don't always have to be like this. Now is the time to, to, deal, to deal with it. Today, you can leave the prison that sexual immorality has created from your past mistakes. Falling for the bait doesn't, have, doesn't make you the worst person in the world. The enemy wants to fill you with guilt and with shame. He wants to beat you down. He wants you right now to just be feeling terrible about your past, terrible about the struggle. That's exactly what he wants. What God wants is for you to listen to his voice. When he says, staff it says it's Hebrews 7:25 is a, w- a wonderful thought he is able this is the truth he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them if you come to Jesus this morning if you deal honestly with your sin before the Lord and fling yourself on his grace if you draw near to him he's able to save you to the uttermost the bible says the darkest corners of your life the hidden secrets that nobody else knows that is it's just you think it's just in the dark it's just for you when you open up that access to god for those areas the bible says that god is able to love you in fact his love is most known most fully known to you in those darkest places of your life he wants to offer you healing He's most strongly drawn to those areas. Brothers and sisters, you cannot sin your way out of his reach. He loves us to the uttermost. And let this this idea of God's kindness, his compassion, his grace, as we consider what he does for us, where he loves us and how he loves us, let that be the catalyst that leads us to repentance. Because unless there's repentance... Time finding any freedom. Secondly, be real with God first. Secondly, be real with yourself. We live in a hypersexualized culture. That's true. The battle is inevitable. It's everywhere around us. It is waiting for you right now. Are you equipped to fight it? What practical steps have you set put put in place? What safeguards exist in your life to keep you fighting it? I'll give you two. First, keep God's word in your heart. This is a wonderful verse the end of 19, the beginning of 20. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. I mean, take those words, write them into your mind. And whether you are walking around town, those are the words that you say to yourself. I am not my own, for I've been bought with a price. Whether you're watching TV or Netflix, trying to find the next episode to watch. I am not my own, I've been bought with a price. Whether you're ready to lay down and go to sleep, I am not my own. Take the thoughts that are captive in your head. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Over and over and over again. When you feel tempted, we fight the, 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 the instrument that God is, the weapon he's given us is his word. And if we don't deploy that weapon, if we don't utilize that weapon, we don't stand a chance. Okay? This is a very simple one. X that in your memory. Secondly, keep technology in its place. Tec- technology, obviously, is, is a great threat. It makes so much of this sin, so much of this temptation, completely at our fingertips, follows us around in our pocket everywhere we go, every single place we go, and allowing it to go unchecked in your life is a recipe for disaster, so how are you going to check technology, the interesting thing about this is that technology is also part of the answer, (laughs) right, so how can you check technology, well you can get things like covenant eyes to make sure that you. uh, invite somebody else into this problem that they're able to see what you view on your on your phone or on your computer or whatever. There's a there's a method Cal Newport. He's written a bunch of stuff on digital minimalism. He's a digital minimalist. All of his writing is fantastic. Get a book from him and read it and then leave your phone somewhere for a week. I don't know, but it's great. But he has a thing called the foyer rule. The foyer rule is really fantastic. The idea is this, you know, back in the day when they had phones that were connected to like wires, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and they would be stationed in a particular place in the home. Oftentimes it would be like the front room or the foyer, the entryway. When you would walk in, it would be like in a hallway close by the front door. The, the phone would just stay there. And so what happened, it's just it's crazy, I know, just go with me for a minute. Well, what happened is if you wanted to make a call and you were upstairs, you had to walk downstairs to the phone. You couldn't, I know, just, just go with me on this one. You couldn't take the phone upstairs with you. It couldn't go in the bathroom with you. It couldn't go in the laundry room. It just stayed in the foyer, right? So every phone call you made, boom, right there. Well, what Cal Newport says is just do the same thing with your cell phone. Walk in the door, have a designated place in your home, in your apartment, wherever you live, and say, this is the place for the phone. And then just leave your phone there. And you can text like you want to text. You can call like you want to call. You can surf like, well, you know, you, gotta, you can use your phone for all those same reasons. You just go to the phone, right? This would be a great a great practice to do just even for a week. Things like Google Wi-Fi where you can set in place in your home if you have a family with kids where you can control access to content and to devices. You can shut things off. Isn't that amazing? Just just push a button and instantly all your kids are just done with the Flee from sexual morality. So whatever you got to do, you got to do. All right. Um, there's a book called Tech Wise Family of Technology for you and kids. Is an issue you want to think through. Tech Wise Family by Andy uh, Crouch, I think his name is, wrote it. It's a really helpful one. Flee sexual morality. Third and finally, be real with someone else. If this is a struggle that is is specific for you that you are really battling with, or you just need accountability with, you have to let somebody else know. Right. What Satan wants us to do is to act like it doesn't apply to us, to act like we've arrived, to act like, no, what what will they think of me if they know I think these things? Or what will they think of Will they still be my friend? Yes! If they're a Christian, yes! Okay? Brothers and sisters, this has to be a place where we can be real with each other. What you're not supposed to do on a Sunday morning is walk through those doors and quickly make it seem like you've got your stuff together, right? That, that... That all this, it doesn't really apply. You've figured it out. You've arrived. Like, that's how we're tempted to, to, to act. I'll confess. That's how we, I want everybody to think that I've got my stuff together. And if I, if I operate my life like that, then I'm not going to let my guard down, let a brother in and say, listen, I need some help. And Satan is, like, one step closer to just wreaking havoc on your soul. Let somebody know. That's why we have things like community we encourage oftentimes in those community groups, doesn't have to be every time, but to get the guys together and the, and the gals together and talk specifically, because if you throw everybody together in a room, it ain't gonna ever come up, right? So that you let somebody be real with someone. There are people all around this room who are struggling with this right now, and there are people all around this room who need help, and there's people all around this room who are willing to help you. So find somebody you can trust and just be real with them, okay? 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is our purpose. This is the reason he's given us bodies. He's he's given us bodies. When we're at Faith Academy, we talk about how we want to, what does it mean to glorify God? We say, what does it mean to glorify God? To draw attention. So God's given us to draw attention to God. God's given us his body so that when people look at us, the relationships that we have, the way we treat our body, that when they look at our body, they go, "Huh," and they see God, that God gets the glory, that God is exalted, that their attention is drawn up because the way that we treat our bodies is going to be radically different than the world around us, right? He's put us in this place. He's called us his people. He's given us his presence. stuff we should be looking at, watching things we should be watching, having relationships we shouldn't be having, you know what we're really doing? We are settling. We're settling. God has made you for more. And he's resourced us his own power. He's not just said, okay, I know this is going to be tough. (laughs) Good luck. That's not what he does. He knows that this is going to be a lifelong struggle. And he's put us in the context of a god thank you so much just for your word this morning and just for the the truth lord i do pray that this would be a topic that that each of us would take very seriously lord i pray that just this morning as we're considering we want to recognize that there is um we're reminded again that as a people that we are fallen that we are sinful that there's nobody in this room who's got it all together that we're all in the exact same place in desperate need of your help lord i pray that you would just just speak to your people and know of these steps, what is what is their first step? Um, Lord, And I just pray that you would encourage us, that you would help us to, to fight this together. Lord, and that we would that we would flee sexual morality, and that as a result or that we would bring glory to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Y'all, we're going to sing. Hold me fast. Now, this is our story. Whenever Satan Gets us. When we fall into sin, we have a Savior who holds us fast. So why don't you all go ahead and stand with us. Let's sing, He Will Hold Me Fast Together. It's the truth.